So now I get the privilege of welcoming up our guest speaker for tonight. All right. His name is Matt Sturdivant. He is a pastor from Fort Worth, Texas. He's the executive pastor of Hope Church there. Now, before he was a pastor, he, uh, he got his undergrad in business marketing, and he worked uh, in sales management, and he helped start a marketing firm uh, before he became a full-time pastor. A fun fact about him, another really cool job he had was that he worked at Disneyland for a year. Uh, doing outside uh, like vending of food, including riding around a uh, hot dog cart. All right, so that's awesome. <laughs> um, he's also the father of two, and he oversees all of the training programs that happen through Hope Church in Fort Worth, which they do a lot of stuff, and it's a really uh, it's a really big job that he does there uh, with that. So you guys help me welcome up with a slow clap. Thank you. I do love uh, being introduced and then having the slow clap. There's just something about the slow clap. I was telling Cody before we started that uh, when I worked at Disneyland, uh, you know, you take a lot of pictures, and um, I, I, I worked there before the days of the iPhones and all the selfies. So one of the things that we would do is we, we were trained that people will come up and they will want you to take their picture. So. There were some guests that came up, and they said, picture, and before I knew what happened, one of the guys put his arm around me and got his picture with me on the hot dog cart. So somewhere I'm in somebody's album somewhere, I don't know. That's kind of cool and kind of creepy all at the same time, but it's great to be here with you tonight. I uh, made my first trip to Chico back in the fall of 2014. I was doing some training with Chico Community Church, and then Paul invited me to to come and speak to the group and, and work with the staff a little bit, and the rest is history. Here we are like four years later, so I love getting to come to Chico. I love hanging out with you all and the staff and the folks at Chico Community Church. Uh, this is actually the fifth message or presentation, however you want to break it down, that I have done on this particular trip here. So some of you um, have gotten to experience me multiple times, I promise. I'm leaving tomorrow in the morning, okay? Joshua is picking me up at 5 a.m. to take me down to Sacramento, so you won't uh, have to put up with me any longer. Now, some of you have heard me speak before. Cody mentioned I have two kids, so I have to show you a couple of pictures of my children. This is my daughter, Kenzie. She's a little over two. This was taken just before we did a daddy-daughter dance just a couple weeks ago. So that's her, and then this next picture is a picture of me and her. Uh, before the dance. And then uh, I have a son who's seven months old. Uh, his name is Malachi. We call him Kai. And uh, there he is. He's got uh, dimples. He's got a great smile. My mom has nicknames for all of uh, her grandkids, and she calls him the million-dollar smile baby. So, And then I think I have one more picture. This was taken just a couple days ago, uh, the two of them playing. So they're really close. They're only 19 months apart which is a handful, but it's great for them uh, getting to, to be so close in age. Now, I'm showing you the pictures of them because they're much cuter than I am. They're much more funny than I, than I am, and that kind of softens up the audience for me. So, you know. Uh, but tonight what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at one of my favorite characters from the Bible, and that's Joseph. Uh, Joseph's life story is found in the book of Genesis the later chapters of Genesis, Genesis is the first book in the Old Testament. 
Genesis 37, chapter 37 and 39 through 50. That's where you can learn about Joseph. And I want you to listen to what, what a pastor and author said about Joseph. He says, Joseph's story is a finely wrought, self-contained novella describing in vivid detail the development of his character. Genesis reaches a melodramatic peak in this climatic last chapters, a riches-to-rags-to-riches tale replete with every human passion, love, hate, ambition, glory, jealousy, fury, tears of joy and grief are shed, garments are rent in anguish. It's a gripping saga of treachery and deception, betrayal, and forgiveness. I mean, doesn't that sound like a great movie description, right? Well, this is real. This, is, this was the story of his life. Now, if you've never read the story of Joseph, again, it's one of my favorites. I would encourage you, read it on your own. But I want to show you just a brief video clip that sort of summarizes his whole life story. So take a look at this. He was also his father's favorite son, and this made Joseph's brothers angry. When their dad gave Joseph a special coat, his brothers hated him. Then Joseph dreamed that his brothers would all bow down to him someday. He told his brothers about his dream. His brothers hated Joseph even more. Joseph had another dream. The sun, moon, and stars were bowing to him. He told his brothers, bad idea. <laughs> Next thing Joseph knew, he was thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, and on his way to Egypt. It gets worse. In Egypt, Joseph worked as a slave for Potiphar. He worked his way up and became head of the household. Then Potiphar's wife got a look at Joseph and liked him. <laughs> three-minute summary of what you can read in his whole story there. And this, we can summarize the key points of his life by looking at some defining moments. As often we find in our own lives, Joseph experienced a series of defining moments. And what do I mean by a defining moment? Uh, we tend to think of a defining moment as standing on the edge of greatness, right? Like we're just waiting for that moment to come and, and we have to go for it. We have, to, we have to carpe diem, or, or in more in today's terms, YOLO, right? We've got this defining moment. We've got to stand on the edge and just go for it. Well, it could happen that way. Defining moments often, though, come very different ways. Rather than this, this moment that's awaiting for us to emerge in greatness, we actually find ourselves in the middle of some circumstances beyond our control. That's exactly what Joseph found himself in, some circumstances beyond his control. And when we're in the middle of those circumstances, we're not sitting there saying, I think I might be in a defining moment right now. And 
years from now, I'll look back and say, that was a defining moment. No, that's not what's happening. We're in the middle of these circumstances beyond our control. But that was the case of Joseph. Joseph lived in uh, roughly 1900 B.C., about 4,000 years ago. In the primary defining moments of his life, instead of going up, he was struggling. He was struggling just to stay up. And he was, he was actually going up the down staircase, as you saw there. And, and as I was thinking about this up the down staircase, I don't know if you guys have ever tried this or experienced this, but I think this is a little bit about how it may have felt. There's no sound here, so just watch, enjoy. How, how many of you didn't think she was going to make it? I mean, when I first watched that clip, I was like, I don't know. And the funny thing about that, I mean, she was sort of professionally dressed, right? She had on like some nice shoes and she was probably just trying to get to the office. But, you know, but it can feel that way sometimes. You know, you're, you're just trying with everything you can to get up this staircase that's going down. So we want to look at Joseph's defining moments. The first defining moment was from prince to slave. From prince to slave. Now, this first defining moment occurred when he was 17 years old. He was his father's favorite son, Joseph's father, Jacob, who was a very wealthy man. So Joseph, you know, was not from royalty, but basically grew up like a prince. Like, that's the equivalent of what happened. And here's a couple of princes you might be familiar with. So think about these guys, right? He grew up like, like a prince. And he was the 11th out of 12 sons. So he had 10 older brothers. And you saw in the video clip about the dreams that he had. His, he was not too popular with his brothers when he's saying to his older brothers, you guys are going to bow down to me someday. He didn't like that so much. So one day, their father sent Joseph out to check on his brothers. Another thing like, you know, how would you like it if this little favorite brother comes out to check on you? You guys, you guys doing your chores okay, right? So they saw this as an opportunity to get rid of their brother. They wanted to kill him, but they threw him in a pit, and then they eventually sold him uh, to some slave traders. He winds up in Egypt. So he goes from being a prince to being a slave. It's a new station in life that he finds himself in. And can you imagine being at 17 years old, just having your life radically changed like this? If you were living like a prince and you're now a slave, life is very different, right? You're, all of a sudden, you've discovered there's manual labor that... You didn't know happened. Other people did that. And guess what? You're doing it now, right? You're the guy that's doing that. So he's living in a land hundreds of miles away from home. And uh, he's a slave and things had to get better, right? I mean, it's like, okay, he had his rough patch. Things have to get better. Actually, that's not the case. They get worse. His second defining moment is going from slave to prisoner. Man. This guy just can't catch a break, right? He's there, a slave in Potiphar's house. And uh, he, he's working, he's working hard, he's being diligent. Potiphar notices. He says, wow, this guy's different. There's something about this guy. He's working really hard. That's really great that Potiphar noticed he, he got elevated. He was basically, he was still a slave, but he was basically running the whole estate. He was the guy in charge. The bad thing about this was Potiphar's wife noticed. And she thought, here's a good-looking, young, strong guy. And Joseph, uh, he, would, he remained faithful to his master. He remained faithful to God. And he wouldn't go to bed with Potiphar's wife. So she accused him anyway of doing that. And then he winds up being thrown in prison for doing the right thing. 
How would you feel about that? You're like, man, I'm just, I'm trying to do what's right. And I get thrown in prison for it. So he winds up in prison. He goes from prince to slave, and now from slave to prisoner. Talk about getting kicked while you're down, right? Here, slave, now you're a prisoner. Well, the defining moment, this occurred, like I said, when he was trying to do right. He was actually trying to honor God. He did the right thing, and it cost him. It cost him dearly. He wound up in prison. His next defining moment, defining moment number three, it came when he was 30 years old. It came 13 years after his brother sold him into slavery. This defining moment is from prisoner to prime minister. So he goes from prisoner to prime minister. And we don't know exactly how long he was there in prison. We know that it was at least two years. And it came about, as you saw in the video, Pharaoh had some weird dreams. And, and what had occurred a little bit before that is some of Pharaoh's officials got thrown into prison. And Joseph was able to interpret some dreams that these guys had while they were in prison. And uh, exactly what he said came true. Uh, one of them ended up getting killed. The other one got reestablished back in his position. And Joseph says, hey, remember me, okay? Well, two years goes by, and the guy finally remembers. Pharaoh has these dreams. And he says, you know, there was this guy I met in prison. And uh, he, I think maybe he can help right now. I think maybe he can interpret what's going on. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph to come. Now, let's just say, like, anybody of you guys seen those, those lockup shows like, you know, on Discovery Channel or something, and you see the guys in prison, and they're, like, they're working out, or they're watching TV, or they're just doing something, and you're like, that doesn't look like it's all that bad, right? They didn't have any of that in ancient Egypt. He was basically in a dungeon. So just imagine this guy that's just nasty, dirty. His beard's probably, like, down to here. You know, he's been there for a couple of years. Well, now he's got an appointment with Pharaoh, so there was barely enough time for him to get a shower and a shave. And then all of a sudden, he's standing in front of the most powerful guy on the planet. I mean, Egypt was like the world-dominating superpower at this time. And he's now standing in front of the guy that's in charge of this country. And, and, he, and, and he, he, he listens to the dreams. And then with God's help, he's able to interpret them. And not only does he interpret them, but he comes up with a plan on what they can do. And Pharaoh's like, hey, that sounds pretty good. Guess what? You get the job. Talk about a job interview that you didn't know you were about to have, right? So, so he gets elevated. He, he, now he finds himself. He's the number two guy in the most powerful nation on the planet at this time. And, and this defining moment is there. And, and he, what he did was is he passed the tests of hardship that he had previously. 13 years of grinding unrewarded work and now what now he's in charge of everything he's he, he's only second to pharaoh uh in in name i mean the guy he's running the country pharaoh turns over everything he takes the keys to to that uh to that nice sports car and he says here you go joseph takes the keys to his vacation house in that place you've always wanted to go here you go joseph i mean he's running the entire country now so he says these three defining moments first he goes from prince to slave Remember our princes? There he's a slave. Then he goes from slave to prisoner, and then from prisoner to prime minister. He went down, down, and then he goes up. So what does Joseph's defining moments have to do with us? What's the point here? Now, it's unlikely that any of you will become prime minister of Egypt, right? Probably. And, and I hope that none of you find yourself in Egyptian prison. I almost found myself in a Canadian border prison one time, which that's the story for another time. 
but, uh, but I hope you never find yourself in a Canadian prison. Regardless of your own defining moments, there's some lessons that we can take from this, some lessons from all of us here. And the first one is that regardless of how bad things look, and I mean, there's times in our lives where things just look bad, but regardless of how bad they look, the first lesson is that God is the one in control. God is in control. I wonder what Joseph was thinking when his brothers grabbed him and they threw him in that pit, and he's wondering, like, what's going to happen to me? I can hear them talking up there, <laughs> like they want to kill me, but one of my brothers actually, I think, loves me, and he doesn't want them to kill me. What's going to happen to me? He's wondering, like, what happened to God? And then that first morning that he woke up a slave, again, you mean you talk about a major life status change. Yesterday, he woke up being waited on. Now he woke up a slave. Or when he was placed in prison for doing the right thing. Was God in control when all of this was happening? Yes. And we in our own lives, we face difficult circumstances. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Or maybe there's a, we have a bad breakup with a boyfriend or with a girlfriend. Or maybe we're watching our parents' marriage fall apart. Or maybe there's just, we're just really struggling in some area of life. And we're wondering, is God in control? Does God know what's happening? Is he still in control? And the answer is yes. Now, often we create a lot of our own problems. I've created my fair share of problems in my life. Uh, but even with the bad choices that I make and the consequences that I have to suffer through, God is still the one in control. There's an interesting passage in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, that addresses this. Listen to this is the words of this is God speaking through the prophet. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What this verse is saying is that God does not think like we do. And that's actually a really good thing. But God doesn't think like we do. He doesn't think like a university student here in Chico. He doesn't think like a Californian. He doesn't think like an American. He doesn't even think like a Christian. What? He's God. He's, his ways are so much higher, and, he, and his thoughts are so much higher than ours. And, and what that means is, is that we can know God. There's things that we can absolutely know about God, but there's also things we can't know. Do you have your questions for Jesus list? You know, there's just, there's just things that we're just not going to know the answer to on this side of eternity. And that's okay. But God, is, is, he is absolutely in control. His ways are so much higher than ours. And part of God being in control is that we put our hope and our trust in him, not in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Because our circumstances can change. They can go up. They can go down. One day, Joseph finds himself living like a prince. He's his father's favorite son. He's got a good gig going. The next day, he winds up, he's a slave. And then he's a prisoner. And then he's back at the top of his game, even higher than where he was before. So our circumstances change. This is exactly what happened in his life. And, and he, he had his focus not on his circumstances, but his focus was on God. Each time, his hope and his trust was in God, not in what he was walking through. So God is the one in control. The second lesson for us is that we're in God's training program. And that's called life. 
If you are breathing right now, which it looks like you all are, you're in God's training program. It's your life. Now, we all have similar aspects to our training program, but then we have our own varieties, our own circumstances, the own things that we're going through. But you're in God's training program because you're living. Listen to what James says about this in the New Testament. He says, Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Anybody here have difficulties and temptations? Yeah, he's talking to you right now. What does he say? Be happy. Be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow, so let it grow. And don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you'll be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. Anybody here ever had a James 1 party? You know what I'm talking about? It's, this, is, this is right from this verse. Here's a new party that you can have. Like, like Chico is a, is, a, is a party university, right? You guys can take things to the HNL with the James 1 party, okay? You got your roommates or you got some people on your floor, some houses near you, and life's just falling apart for them. You know, go get some ice cream or go, go get some cookies from the bakery and, and get some balloons and, man, those little party hats, you know, and the things you blow and, like, you know. And they're like, what are you doing? You're like, we're having a James 1 party, man. They look at you like, What? I knew those guys at Challenge were crazy, but no. <laughs> but what it's telling us is to be happy. Why? Because this is a chance for us to grow in character, to be full and complete. So a few thousand years before James wrote these words, guess what? Joseph was living them out. Joseph was living through some very difficult things. But he was, he was growing. He was being tested. He was being prepared you see, when he was that prince, that, that snotty-nosed, uh, privileged prince, his father's favorite son, he wasn't ready to be prime minister of Egypt. He wasn't ready yet. He had to go through some trials. He had to go through some things to, to work on him, to work on his character, to get him ready to do what God wanted to do through him. So, so James tells us to be happy. And then, you know, if you're like, I don't know if I want to be happy, listen to what Paul says about it. Paul says, more than that, we rejoice. Woo! We rejoice in our sufferings. What? Wait, did I read that right? <laughs> we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produces endurance, endurance produces hope, or produces character, and character produces hope. Joseph suffered and endured as a slave and a prisoner for 13 years. Talk about endurance. And it was through this, his character was being tested. It was being strengthened so that when the call came from Pharaoh... Guess what? He was ready to answer the call. He didn't know the call was going to come, but he was ready to answer the call when it came. He was just sitting there, you know, probably like counting the rats in the prison cell, you know, playing with the rocks. I don't know what he was doing. But all along, he was growing in character, endurance. He was ready. See, for us, there's different times in our training program that include sufferings. And, and, and there's a, what this is telling us is that there's purpose behind the pain. There's purpose behind the problems in our life. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but I find encouragement in these verses from James and from Romans, and here's why. Because, I, because I'm living, because I'm breathing, I'm in God's training program. And, and even though I'm walking through some difficult things, and I have walked through some difficult things in my life, 
And I don't understand all of it in the moment. I know that God loves me and he's actually building me up and he's training me and he's working on me so that I can become the man that I need to become to do the things that he wants to do in my life and through me and have me be a part of. He's not a cruel God that's out there just wailing on me, wanting to hurt me. I've brought all kinds of pain on myself because of poor choices I've made. But God had used even those things to help grow me and get me ready. Even if I don't understand it or I don't understand it for years, he's using this. At age 17, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And then later on, he has the encounter with his brothers. Later on in Egypt. Listen, in Genesis 45, 5 through 8, he tells his brothers, Don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Three times he tells them in these verses that it wasn't you. Now, yes, they were involved in it, but it wasn't them. It was God. God was in control in the middle of all this. He sent Joseph there because if Joseph hadn't been there, if Joseph, ha Joseph hadn't have had his character been worked on for those 13 years, he wouldn't have been there to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh's dreams wouldn't have been interpreted. They maybe not have stored up all the, the grain that they needed for the famine. So Joseph recognized what God was doing and that he was in control. Now, for me personally, I've learned these lessons uh, through many difficult things. When I was uh, between 8 and 14, I had a series of hip surgeries, and I couldn't run, jump, or kick during that period. When I was 14 years old, I was run over by a drunk driver, and I almost died. My wife and I got married right out of college. We were 22 and 23 years old. We decided we were going to wait five years to start a family because we were so young. Five years came and went. Ten came and went. And it was finally, it was just a few days after our 14th wedding anniversary that our daughter was born just a few days later. And I've walked through incredibly difficult seasons in ministry as well. But you know what? I can honestly tell you, and this is the God's honest truth, I would not be the person that I am today if I had not walked through those things. As hard as they were, as painful as they were, I would not wish them on any single person here. But today I'm grateful for those experiences because I would not be who I am today. I would not have the opportunities that I have today. I would not know God the way that I know him today had I not walked through those incredibly different, difficult things. So the third lesson that we can learn from Joseph is this, is that faithfulness is a key doorway to the future. To be faithful, what does that mean? Well, that means that you're thorough in the performance of a duty. That means you're true to your word. That means you're steady in your allegiance. You're loyal. You're, you're faithful. Being faithful is not just when we think others are watching us. You know, it's like, oh, my boss is watching right now or whoever. God sees everything. So we're faithful because we know God sees what's happening all the time. The Bible has a lot to say about the topic of faithfulness, and I, I put several verses there. Just a couple of them I want to share for with you. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your necks. Write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and men. Joseph was faithful in all the situations that he faced, regardless of the circumstances he was in. I mean, you can chart that through his whole life. 
He was faithful as a slave. He'd just been ripped out of his family. He was a slave, and he was faithful to the tasks that he was given. He was so faithful that he was elevated to be the head slave in charge of everything. I mean, who does that, right? Like, here's a slave. This guy's worth nothing. I bought him. He's here to serve me. But yet he was so faithful that Potiphar was like, dude, I don't know what's wrong with this guy, but I like it. And, and I want to put him in charge of everything. And then as a prisoner, he, he, as, a, as a slave, he'd handled his assignments well, and it earned him a slot in prison. In fact, one uh, commentator I was reading, they said that, you know, to think that it was because of the relationship that he had with Potiphar and the fact that he was so faithful why he was put in prison and not killed. Because if you're just a slave and you're accused of raping your master's wife, why would you still be living? But he winds up in prison, and, uh, and there he's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. They see what he's put in charge of the whole prison. This is a guy who was faithful. Jesus said, the one who is faithful in very little will also be faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? God, you guys are at a stage in your life right now where you probably don't have a lot. You get to enjoy another's. And then as you, as you have an internship, as you start your careers and you start out uh, at the lower, less desirable positions, you're going to have an opportunity to be faithful with another's. That faithfulness with another's is going to be directly linked to the faithfulness and the opportunity that you have with your own later on in life. Faithfulness is so important. So Joseph... He was faithful with a little when he was a slave and a prisoner, and then he was given much, running the most powerful nation at that time in the world's history. So faithfulness is a key doorway to the future as we face the trials and difficulties and really hard circumstances in our life. We should respond like Joseph and be faithful. Be faithful in what we've been given regardless of what the circumstances look like. Now, a final thought from Joseph's life is this, is that the middle is not the end of the story. The middle is not the end of the story. And we, we, we look at the life of Joseph, when we look at these defining moments, it would be really easy at different points to think, uh-oh, it's over. This is the end. But that's not what we see. That the, the middle is not the end. So we need to remind ourselves is it will not always be this way. You guys are young. You have a lot of life ahead of you. You're somewhere in the middle or pre-middle. So as hard as the circumstances are right now that you're going through, you just got to tell yourself, the middle is not the end of my story. It's not the end. So this was not the end of my story. Being run over by a drunk driver at age 14, spending 10 days in intensive care and a month in the hospital in total. Wherever you're at right now in life, today is somewhere in the middle. It's not the end. I don't know what the specific details of your life situations look like, but I do know this. God is in control, even if things seem like they're totally, totally out of control. That you are in God's training program right now because you're alive and you're breathing. And there's all kinds of lessons that he wants you to learn so that he can use you in ways that you can't even imagine right now. And then your faithfulness today, faithfulness in that 
paper that maybe you need to go home and write when we're done here, or that assignment or that test that you need to study for, your faithfulness today is going to have an impact on your future. So maybe you're here and you feel like your life is totally a mess. You've been trying to do it all on your own and all in your own way. And you realize it's not just working. It's not working. Wherever you're at today does not have to be the end of your story. See, real power for life change comes by knowing Jesus Christ, yielding your life to him, walking with him daily, and asking him for help. If you've not yet yielded your life to Jesus, that's the place to start. Start by yielding your life to him. Begin a brand new chapter in this story of your own life. Now, I do want to tell you this, is that being a follower of Christ does not give you a perfect life. It doesn't give you a problem-free life. It's not as if your life gets coated with Teflon and all of the problems just bing, bing, nothing sticks to you. That's not what being a follower of Christ is all about. It's not the absence of the problems, but it's the presence of the resources, the help, the strength that you need to get through the problems. Now, see, for me personally, I wish that I could grow in patience and endurance and character like this. Sitting on a beach, reading a good book, working on my tan. But that's not the way God's designed our training programs. You guys know this because you've experienced it. We grow in patience by having to be patient for much longer than we think is reasonable. We grow in endurance by having to endure through much more hardship than we think is fair. The same is for character. Walking through really hard things both reveals the character that's there and it also grows character in your life. Character grows a lot like how diamonds are formed. You know how diamonds are formed? Crushing pressure. Pressure is what turns coal into diamonds. Embrace it. Embrace it. So when Joseph was sold by his brothers, when he was thrown in the prison, and when he was, when he was later elevated to prime minister, he wasn't trusting and hoping in his circumstances. He was trusting and he was hoping in God. And did you know that the same God that Joseph put his hope and trust in is the same God that we serve today? And he can help us get through our circumstances. He can give us the, the ability to get through it just like he did with Joseph. So I want to encourage you guys that you're here, you're living, you're breathing, you're in a training program. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something through your lives. Embrace the training program that he's given you. Stay after it. I can't imagine walking through my own life and my own trials without the love and peace and support that I find from Jesus. In my, in my teens, when I, when I had the hip surgeries, in my 20s, when I graduated from college, got married, started my career, in my 30s, having an extended time period of really wanting a family and not being able to, to get pregnant, here's a picture of my family now today. When I... When I wanted a family and didn't know if I was ever going to get one. I couldn't see this picture. And that's the problem is we're in the middle of the hardships. It's right there in front of our face. We can't see the picture that's out there in the future. But if we trust God and we endure, there, there are things out there, not the perfect life, but there's much more out there than we can ever imagine. And we do it by knowing that the middle 
is not the end of the story. You guys are somewhere in the middle. And I just want to encourage you, put your hope and your trust in God through Jesus Christ, not in whatever you're dealing with right now. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you that the middle is not the end of our story. Thank you that no matter how bad things look, you are the one in control. Thank you for giving us examples like Joseph and of men who have faithfully walked while enduring hardship. Please help us to put our hope in you, not in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Thank you that because of what Jesus has done, we can have a right relationship with you. We can have real help. We can have real power. We can have real strength to walk through the hard things in life. Please show us, Father, what our next steps with you are, and then give us the courage and the strength to take those steps. In Jesus' name, amen.